Hey, Mark, welcome back again today. How's it going there? Good, thank you. How about you? Doing really well here, thank you. Beautiful day here in Stratford, so I'm I'm happy. Everybody's happy. Same in Ottawa. It's a beautiful Sunday, well, or outside of Ottawa, but it's mm -hmm. beautiful here. So happy Friday to everybody. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about today, um, something that is very near and dear to your heart, I think. Voice help, performing, the nature of performing, what it means. Uh, you mentioned in an earlier chat we had about, when I asked you about how did you keep your voice, your your instrument alive and well during the pandemic, during the dark weeks of lockdowns when, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't do what you do with, with, with people around people, all that stuff. I'd love to hear about like your, your first experiences performing. If you, if you have any particular examples, how, what it was like for you and your colleagues getting back into performing again, since, you know, lockdowns have lifted and you've been able to do that again. I just, I'm fascinated with the whole the whole notion of performance and keeping your voice healthy, and even that little bit you said about possibly being able to detect uh, detect when people are lying <laughs> through their voice. You mentioned that to me once before. I'm still very fascinated to hear about that. Yes. So there are many questions in that question. So let me start with a wonderful moment that I remember from the Tonight Show when Johnny Carson was still hosting. <laughs> of course, he yes. had. Um, this amazing, amazing soprano, just one of our greats. Her name is Martina Arroyo. And she just, I think she just sort of blew everybody out of the water in terms of their perceptions of what an opera singer is because she's funny, she's down to earth, she's a little bit self-deprecating, she can roll with the punches. She's obviously a very refined, well-spoken person, but she can also get in the mud with you if, if you want to. It's just what, mm -hmm. wonderful. Anyway, so... Johnny Carson says to her, do you practice every day? And she goes, when I'm telling the truth? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, sure. And she goes, then no, I don't. <laughs> she goes, I'm supposed to. And mm -hmm. I think the big sort of secret of all of us in this profession is that we're supposed to practice every day, but we don't mm -hmm. always practice every day. Mm -hmm. And she sort of captured for all of us in that one little joke, the fact that as humans, as people who have good days and bad days, and as humans who can't always be consistent with everything all the time. Mm -hmm. We are officially supposed to practice every day, although even officially you're not, because you need to rest too. It's like any muscle, right? You can't work out seven days a week. You have to relax, <laughs> you have to allow your body to relax. And so I just I loved that idea because it it captured the humanness of what it is to do what we do. And you know, there's this other, I already name dropping, what is wrong with me? But I, there's this other great quote from Tony Bennett, who said, um, when you don't, when you miss a day of practice, you notice. When you miss two days of practice, your teacher notices. And when you miss three days of practice, your audience notices. Mm -hmm. And I loved that idea. So there is a sense of consistency that's required to the the voice or any training of any part of the body or a mind-body connection. And then you throw in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that challenges your own <laughs> sort of inconsistency on a good day. And unfortunately, for the first year and a half, most of us had bad days. I mean, it, let's be real. There was a lot of grieving for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And all that to say, in the pandemic, for me, I didn't sing a lot at all. 
Good. There was shower singing because you know <laughs> they're shower singing. Everybody sure. sings in the shower in the car, you know, wherever. Yeah. But um, no, there was a really long period where I didn't sing much at all, mm -hmm. and there was nothing exciting about singing on Zoom. None of us wanted to act, sing, or dance, let alone on Zoom. None of us mm -hmm. got into this business to be alone in front of a computer singing or acting to a metronome uh, that, that's not what we we got into this business to collaborate with others because acting is reacting right mm -hmm. a lot of what i deliver as an actor is what i get from my other actor and vice versa so reducing our lives to these little screens where we're all just sort of <laughs> these top quarters of ourselves was was really not fun and so I definitely grieved my own profession. All of my colleagues grieved our profession. And it was so hard hit. There were a lot of more business-oriented jobs that could be done via Zoom. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness, things like the government functions could go on <laughs> over Zoom and yes. a lot of business functions. And um, thankfully, grocery stores were a place that for a long time was, you know, were one of the one places that we could go mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with a mask on to, to at least get food and water that's what we need to live but in terms of performing it went away for a long time mm -hmm. and that must have been a like a, a a very much a grieving experience for you who you know you 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 live to be in front of people like you said and with with your colleagues and doing that sharing and the collaborating so that must have been just brutally difficult for 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 you and for everybody who's in that that um, artistic space. Yeah, and the artistic space is meant to be enjoyed by people, for people, through people, with people. It's 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 a human, right? The arts and humanities. We've talked about this. It is a human pursuit. The arts and is teaching, right? Mm -hmm. As I said, I, I moved recently much more into teaching. Um, performance hasn't been my main focus it's still something i do and still something that i can enjoy now but it hasn't been my main focus for years but even grieving the teaching i couldn't do in person mm -hmm. even grieving losing my job and again there's a whole other story there i don't know <laughs> if we're going to go into that story today but maybe we will sometime um there there was a lot of stuff to process and people had different coping mechanisms people tried to do stuff over zoom that was satisfying for some people it was very unsatisfying for other people i've spoken to many colleagues who were offered these sort of gigs on zoom and they and i frankly said no several times because there was there was nothing satisfying or um, contributive about some of those gigs. It seemed like people just wanted to keep their faces famous more right. than they wanted to actually create art that was going to impact, make a difference. And so there were gigs that we said no to and that people just decided it was almost easier in a way to just stop than to try and put together this thing that only made me miss it more. It was almost easier for me to perform or not perform, but mm -hmm. this halfway kind of quasi half performance was just not satisfying to me and to many of my colleagues that I've spoken of. And I know many of, <laughs> it's always nebulous, where's your proof? But I just mean <laughs> from my own experience, 
I, I will say it was multiple, multiple, multiple colleagues that I've spoken yeah. to anecdotally and, and, and personally who just said that it was almost easier to come up with a plan B job and, you know, get some sort of quote unquote regular job and, and, right. and sort of put the performing aside because performing like this through a camera um, in one's workshop here uh, is not not the same why we got into this business that's right oh geez so how so how did you maintain your your voice health because you said you voice th this was an interesting thing i never stopped to think about the voice as something you needed to keep healthy per se certainly i'd heard about voice health in the context of you know singers and, and again you've mentioned previous cases where singers have unfortunately had procedures or accidents done that affect their 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 vocal cords or their their mouth nose throat systems mm -hmm. so I, I was familiar with the health component of it in that respect but just not on a day-to-day -day basis about mm -hmm. voice voice health and what that means and when i'm telling the truth no <laughs> that's miss arroyo that said that um in terms of voice health thankfully one of the greatest tools that anybody has is that even when you're not on stage whether you're an actor a singer both you know wherever you fall on that spectrum how you speak in your regular day-to-day -day life says a lot about how you maintain your voice so a lot of my own voice health just came down to how i spoke and how i continue to speak and i think a lot of people can underestimate the bad habits in how we speak finding their way into how we speak on stage and how we sing on stage. So I was able to, admittedly, when I felt the voice was being a little lazy, I would legitimately sing in the shower or legitimately sing in my apartment or wherever because it, it is a way to, to see. But ultimately, it comes down to how you speak. And just making sure that the voice is resonating, that it's clear, that it's vibrating, that there's actual sound going on, and not doing that thing that we all like to do where we do the vocal fry, oh, right? Okay. That can be something that can happen to a lot of people. Now, vocal mm -hmm. fry in and of itself is not a pathology. Where it becomes a pathology is chronic vocal fry. When you use chronic vocal fry, that starts to become pathological because then what you're doing is you're actually trying to bring your vocal cords together without any actual sound which means there's no vibration so you're just rubbing non-vibratory cords together that are meant to vibrate purpose of the cords is to vibrate but uh you're just rubbing them together without actual oh oh actual sound so we all use a little bit of vocal fry at the end of our sentences, right? We're all, a little okay, bit, right, right. we're all a little bit guilty of that. But when it becomes something that makes its way into your day-to-day -day life and you do it all the time, then it's something that we have to be, be careful of. But for me, a lot of voice health is actually not even just how you use your voice, but it's also what you do when you're not speaking. So for me, yeah. there's a lot of... Uh, work that's been done in a field called voice hygiene and voice hygiene has to do with the things that have nothing to do with how you speak or sing do you sleep enough do you drink enough water do you avoid really acidic foods right 
do you avoid alcohol you know when you need to be using your voice so there's a whole field that we studied and that i teach so many people young and old about called voice hygiene and that has to do with how you take care of yourself on a day-to-day -day basis because as you know you really only go to the gym one hour a day so a lot of what happens in the gym is based on how you take care of yourself the rest of the time well the same is for the human voice how you take care of your entire self because the voice is an entire human body experience will have a lot to do with how you use your voice for the hour or two hours that you're speaking singing whatever it is so that idea of training that idea of growth that idea of maintenance completely applies to the voice because voice. what are the vocal folds but the thyroarytenoid muscle covered Muscles. in some other layers and a mucosal layer you know there's i could right. get real nerdy about this here Adam. Yeah, yeah but um underneath those vocal folds there's a muscle in there so like anything you got to um, use the muscle train the muscle take care of the muscle maintain the muscle, the muscle. and right. not overuse the muscle not underuse the muscle just like anything right there's a balance and there is hyper-functional voice, which is too much tension, and there's also a hypo-functional voice, which is not enough tension. So just like anything, maintaining a healthy, balanced sense of vibration and resonance, clear articulation to the voice is super important. And thankfully, in the pandemic, a lot of that work, 70% of that work, was just maintaining my own health practices when I'm not even talking. Got it. Got it. And so there, there was a certain amount of um, of true wisdom to whoever it was that first said you should listen twice twice as much as you should speak. <laughs> the whole the whole two ears and one mouth thing. <laughs> two ears and one mouth. I've never heard that. I love that. I there was something way I, probably from my my parents told me about the expression way back. Probably I was I was probably talking too much. And they said you are, you know, you've got you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should be, you know, listening twice as much as you as you speak. I and so love I, that. I, I don't I don't think I can attribute it directly to them directly. They certainly use that with uh, with me, but uh, that was an expression way back. But it seems like there's there's also an actual good fact and thinking to that from the voice health perspective too. Which of course is ironic on a podcast where I'm supposed to give these deep, profound answers. You know, where I give you lots of substance to my answers, but we're doing lots um, of talking in this this whole this whole uh, medium here. Yeah, I mean, I can put my own voice health to, te to the test here. Make sure I'm practicing what I'm teaching yeah, my students. Sure. So, well, that is fat. That is fascinating. Like just in the last like five minutes, I've already learned so much. I had never thought of the voice as uh, like as being an integral part of your your bodily system that you have to just take care of that way so thank you for that you're very welcome and it's one of the reasons that i am such a proponent of uh well <laughs> a proponent or maybe i would say an opponent of this infantilization of talent mm -hmm. we are living at a time where people are getting famous younger and younger and younger and everyone's an influencer and everyone's on this has talent and this idol and even the term as carolyn mace says the term american idol <laughs> it that's a dream that doesn't belong to you as as she would say that that we all pursue these dreams that don't belong to us you're not supposed to be an idol you're supposed to be a person and you can be a person with a talent you can be a person with a gift but when we are putting teenagers who don't even have their prefrontal cortex completely developed. I mean, they're still mm -hmm. figuring out their frontal lobe, let alone how to be 
quote unquote famous though, what does that mean, right? So this thing called the voice, which again, whether you're a singer or an actor or both in my case, it, you, you need to take care of that. But the reality is like any part of our body, it's determined by neuroscience. It comes mm -hmm. from our central nervous system, mm -hmm. right? It comes from the vagus nerve. Most of most of how the voice is, is innervated, which is a fancy word for most of how the voice is activated, comes from the vagus nerve, cranial nerve number 10. And oddly enough, the vagus nerve is also what gets us into that parasympathetic state where we relax and so the irony of stressing and making fame the deal out of the voice is that the voice doesn't work when you're stressed, you're stressed. <laughs> the voice doesn't work when you don't have an understanding of the coordination of mind body spirit mm -hmm. right that whole musculoskeletal chain which starts from the brain mm -hmm. right it starts from those cranial nerves so that's what's the great irony to me about not understanding and so when people find out <laughs> this is my ego talking for a second here when people find oh, out yeah. that i study voice and they go oh you have a doctorate in voice i say yeah you yeah. Can sing all day <laughs> yeah. it's not this isn't just singing all day because what we all have now again thanks to these screens that we all live on right we're all obsessed with our little screens mm -hmm. is we just see you know kelly clarkson who is infinitely talented i adore her we see her mm -hmm. in a microphone and a big cheering crowd we that's all we think it is we, right. we see the kind of finished product that's the all we really remember the final image there yeah that's what we really get exposed to right but when people are surprised how much I know about nutrition and psychology and musculoskeletal science. I say, well, what do you think the voice is? <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I can't function if I don't understand the respiratory process, if I don't understand the neurological connection, if I don't understand what food I eat and how that affects my voice, how much sleep I need. So the human voice is, in my opinion, one of the most holistic things that is so revelatory about our health, right? When mm -hmm. you when you hear someone, if you ask someone, you know, how are you today? And they go, I'm all right. You go, mm, you sure about that? I don't yeah. know if I believe you. <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't get fine off of that answer. <laughs> didn't quite get fine, right? So even people uh, who are only listening to this on a podcast who might not see my face right now, hopefully they're still getting some sort of sense of my facial and body expression through the way that i'm expressing through my voice right and so the voice can reveal so much to me about how much sleep someone had about how well they're eating how much they're hydrating how much alcohol they've had their emotional state there are so many things and so that's sort of where my little cheeky thing about being a little bit of a lie detector comes from is because right there's a cadence to people's voices when they're speaking truthfully. And actually, this is kind of acting 201. Mm -hmm. When somebody is being truthful, there's no false note, right? There's no note out of place. It just, it comes out naturally. That's how acting is, quote unquote, believable, is because there's nothing to the cadence. It's like there's a melody to the to the, the phrase that has no false note to it. You wouldn't expect so it to come out the, any other way, almost. Absolutely. And so 
I'm not, I'm not out to say I'm a perfect lie detector. Please, let's take me off the pedestal here. Because <laughs> this is going to get me in some trouble. Because everyone's going to say, oh, God, did Mark know when I was lying? I mean, right, honestly, right, right. yes, sometimes I, I do know when you're lying. I didn't want to put you in a perpetual hot seat with that. I know, I'm always, people are going to, I don't know, friends and family hear this. They're going to go, wait a minute. Wait a second, what's going on? What's, <laughs> yeah. he, what's he really think? Yeah. So I, I don't, I, and obviously I don't turn it on that off. It's none of my business to know what's going on with people. It's their life. It's their private life, right? But for the sake of the conversation, yes, if I just turn on the little switch, it's not hard for me to tell when someone's cadence, someone's inflection, someone's tone quality um, is off. Mm -hmm. And and there's a shake, there's a there's a, a restriction to the breath, the voice goes to a different place, it resonates a little different. It, it, it all, it, it's not too hard for me to figure out when I want to mm -hmm. and when I'm bothering to do it, which isn't sure. all, again, isn't all the time. But yeah, it, it's an amazing thing. You really, once you start learning how to speak other words truthfully, right, from a script, right, that was, weren't my words, that's the beautiful process of acting, is if you can speak other people's words truthfully, you know when they're not speaking their words truthfully. It's sort of this interesting cycle. And so again, I, I other people's lives are <laughs> none of my business, but um, it doesn't mean that I can't completely help <laughs> sometimes noticing. Absolutely. Well, Danielle and I, we both studied psychology and get the mm. same thing all the time, especially when we were first taking it. So, well, what are you thinking about me right now? I'm not. <laughs> I'm really not. You know, it's just, it's something you study. You learn about behavior and human behavior. And I can see how, you know, your, your ability to analyze voice that way you know, that would go hand in hand with any other kind of behavioral analysis that probably happens in, you know, the dark recesses of the FBI or, or the, maybe they need to do a certain work that into the, the criminal mind type shows, the profiling shows where they are listening to that as well. It wouldn't surprise me now that I think about it, if that was in fact done, but I hadn't really thought about it that explicitly until talking to you about it, which is, which is great. So thank you again for bringing this in this field to light for me. I think I think that's just fascinating. Well, thank you. And it's my pleasure because I if there's one thing I would love to do in my professional life, it's render the study of voice more accessible, not only to everybody, but also render the study of voice to have the the credit that I think it deserves. Because mm -hmm. unfortunately it's been reduced to this either you know, microphone belting pop singer or this wobbling vibrato opera singer. And that's all we think it is. We think that's right. what the voice is. But the voice is truly one of the most complete educations you could ever have. And um, I really, really, really hope that mm -hmm. we can start to normalize the intelligence of my colleagues who work in the voice, the experience of my colleagues who work with the voice, and and really integrated into all of the various fields that it encompasses because voice mm -hmm. is really good at integrating all of the fields into it but those other fields aren't always good at integrating the voice into them right. and so i i have a little bit of a professional mission it's nothing crazy i'm not a it's not mm -hmm. a sword to fall on but it's it's i do have a bit of a professional mission to give it more credence and a little bit more respect because it it's it should be a part of a lot of different parts mm -hmm. of healthcare science research psychology there's there's a lot that i feel and this isn't very humble but that i feel i could teach those um fields about it excuse me that's really not humble <laughs> no it's i i understand i understand what you mean I, I think um you know what you said a minute ago i find it funny that at different points in time and place people 
have a tendency to want to reduce things. I think there's the word you said, you want to reduce something. I mean, pick any instrument. And I find it's, it's, it just doesn't do the instrument justice. When people say like, oh, like that's just a, you know, a rock guitar or a, just a jazz guitar player. But if you actually stop and listen to all the different things that that particular player is playing and that the time and the investment uh, of learning and patience that goes into it, let alone all the other styles that can get played on that instrument, it's absolutely mind blowing. And you know, as someone who who grew up um, drumming, I got that a lot. Oh, it's just the drummer. The kids, you know, it was always just the, the just the drummer. You know, like it, they hardly even keep the beat. They rely on everybody else to keep the beat. You know, um, so I so I, I get that. There's always this aspect of people wanting to tear down mm-hmm. and and belittle something and reduce it. But it's it's so refreshing when you hear a perspective like yours. But let's take this thing that has been overlooked, chronically overlooked, or maybe maybe it wasn't historically. Maybe it's only been recently overlooked. It's been put in a little box mm-hmm. and shed some light on that again. That's fun. That's refreshing. I love I love hearing that kind of thing. Well, thank you, and I love hearing your perspective too, because there is no such thing as just a drummer or just a guitarist. Every instrument counts, and every instrument has its skill and its refinement that you, the average person, probably doesn't know anything about until you experience it. So again, it's supposed to be the act of empathy, right? We also say there are no small parts, only small actors, right? Every part matters. Every No no musical would happen without a chorus. No film would happen without the extras. No you know, no opera would happen without the orchestra underneath them. You know, everything, everything takes place and everything's part of that little ecosystem that mm-hmm. makes up what it is that we do. And so until you've experienced something, and this is a, again, a good lesson in empathy for all of us in general in life, until you've experienced something for yourself, maybe try walking in someone else's shoes before you judge them. It's a timeless wisdom. We've mentioned that in the other episode as well, the, the, the golden rule, like you just, work to understand you know instead of instead of judge coming right out the gate you know it's uh it's frustrating that there's still such a i don't even know what the the word is still such a tendency to to so quickly react which is which is frustrating my my opinion um was refreshed about um percussion through a friend of a friend uh, someone i I took a lot of lessons with and, and drummed with for a long time and his instructor at one point did very much what what you what you do. I think he had the same kind of mission because when he was asked what he did, and he's been a, a percussionist his whole life, and very accomplished across many different types of percussion styles, people said, "What do you do?" And he said, "I'm a musician." And he just started saying musician. He said, "I got a he got a totally different reaction from people when they he used that term than when he said, "I'm a drummer" or "I'm a percussionist," because he said it, it opened their mind a little bit to what he was going to say next. And and when I when I heard that anecdote, that was very refreshing for me because it was at a time when it was still like even with the I, I played in pipe bands, it's Highland Highland snare drumming, is the style that I do. Even in that world, there's always a lot of you know it's joking for sure, but it has an effect over time of becoming a belittling thing. It's oh just the drummers that they're at the back for a reason, you know. Like there's always this kind of <laughs> they're at the <laughs> back for a reason, you know, oh you know, kind of thing, which is true. You know, position the band, but there's always that kind of joking. But you know, to to someone who's new or starting, like that can that can end up being very very hurtful. It can be very frustrating. It, it can it can turn them away from wanting to pursue that interest uh, if they think that that's the overarching attitude of the other band members so 
finding different ways to to frame it, make it more positive, make it more like all encompassing. Like you said, that we all have a role here, and it's and the whole hopefully is is greater than the individual parts, and that's what we're working we're working for. I mean, it's it's music, right? it's performing. <laughs> We don't, we're not trying to compete with each other on the same stage or in the same band. You got to make it come together, you know, as, as, a, as a whole. And wouldn't it be interesting, because I love his way of saying I'm a musician. I think that's beautiful. And wouldn't it be interesting if we went even one step further and said, I'm a human who is a musician, musician. or I'm a human mm -hmm. who plays music, you know, something a little bit more human first. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I so appreciate that because I, and I think a lot of people who do, quote unquote, what I do, where we live in this singing and acting, right? There's this thing that happens to singing actors is the, you know, the classical musician stalwarts think that musical theater isn't classical enough. And the classical Shakespeareists think that musical theater isn't, you know, so there's sort of this, we, we can't win for losing where we feel a little bit dismayed by all sides of our profession and are you an actor are you a singer are you a musician are you a, you know these labels that we you know ascribe to ourselves can be very confusing for people who live as both singers and actors because absolutely i consider myself a musician as much as i am an actor and i consider myself an actor as much as i am a musician and and um as and within the musician i sing but i also play the piano and i played the trumpet for a few years you know and i even did a little percussion you mm -hmm. know i um it, what do we what, what is our goal here what, what do we right. mean by all of those words and mm -hmm. i remember one of oh, my one of my favorite mentors of all time, Dr. Christina Caswell McMullen. God bless that woman, um, who first of all has possibly the most beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life, um, okay. and but makes her living as a choral conductor and a professor of choral music. She's down at the University of North Texas at the time of this recording. Um, <laughs> she's a professor there, and I always remember when I was in her choirs, she would always say, "Musicians." Oh, okay. When she would address us. As our conductor, she would always say musicians, I went, I know what you're doing, I see what you're doing. And I loved that because she was trying to get us out of this. You know, are you a choral singer? Are you a solo singer? You just you're a you're a musician. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so the respect that she has for the human voice, the respect that she has for the choral arts, the respect that she has for her colleagues. She's just the best colleagues. She's just amazing. And I learned so much from her. I love her and miss her. Uh she embodied that sense of musicians she would always yeah. say in her beautiful soprano voice and it would get our attention and we would listen because she never commanded presence through dogma she commanded presence through respect she commanded mm -hmm. it through depth through generosity through kindness mm -hmm. and so um yeah just reminded me of your story there's and there's the words you just used there to describe her like you could have been talking about um a famous military leader you could have been taught like it's it's these these are some qualities we're moving into like the qualities of true leadership and there's such a divide there between someone like you might be in charge and someone who's a leader someone who you know gets respect because they demand it and it's yeah. and then you i don't think they're getting true respect no. they might get, they're getting a salute or a yep. yes ma'am yes sir thing but yes. that's about it the true leaders they, they've they've earned it just by showing up the way they've shown up, by conducting themselves the way that they conduct themselves, by treating people the way they treat people. 
And I think, you know, all those words you used, you might as well just been describing a, a world-class leader. Leadership qualities. Leadership qualities there. And it, it's so refreshing when you see them that way. They're universal. Yeah. yeah. And you, um, you know, Maya Angelou said, to be a, to, to get a friend, you have to be a friend. Mm-hmm. Right? And so... That's a, that's, a, that's a good kindergarten rule too, right? Right. And so but to we, get respect, you need things. Yeah. To get respect, you need to give respect. It's the same. It's the same concept. And I find the people that I have personally respected the most and been willing to jump over a cliff for <laughs> are the people who never demanded it from me. Mm -hmm. They were just from the people that just were good people and led obviously she was the conductor she was course, no question and i yeah. we followed her yeah. but um and you know, maybe the things that i would have disagreed with her on because you don't agree with everybody on everything the things that i may have even disagreed with her on only taught me more about me and helped establish my feelings and then everything else that i did agree with her on then that you know it, it's all good it's it, all good it, uh, yeah. yeah disagreeing with my mentor on one or two points is actually part of the process. That's, of like, that's the process of learning, and that's what a, a good that's mentor right. does. Is a good mentor is okay with being disagreed with, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Absolutely. I feel that that says a lot about the our second episode that we did about the divisiveness of our rhetoric these days. Mm -hmm. Is our inability to take criticism, our inability to have people disagree with us without seeing it as a personal affront versus okay, I see where you're coming from, still don't agree, but I'll still follow you off a cliff if I have to. Well, that's not healthy. Don't do that. But, <laughs> but no, I, I know your point, yeah. But yeah, but exactly, but they've earned that respect. So this idea that disagreeing with someone's point equals disagreeing with them as a person, thing, I think we yeah. need to really, really, really get over. And so my, sort of circling back, my professional mission here to get the voice the respect it deserves the profession the field of the voice more respect that it deserves isn't in it's not to be combative to anybody people know what they know and they come from their perspective and they think that this is what the voice is and that you always need a backing track and a microphone well, actually that's not always true there are other ways that we can make the voice happen either without a microphone mm -hmm. in a choir over an orchestra there's lots of different ways to see the voice rather than just being this commercialized recorded overly produced hyper subscribed thing that people can only last about 10 years in before they lose their voice there are other ways of of seeing the voice but that doesn't mean i have to denigrate commercial music that doesn't mean i have to denigrate the people in commercial music there's a way for us to provide perspectives from each other that speak to getting rid of divisiveness and showing true leadership skills which means you're okay with being disagreed with. And we're Absolutely. so bad at that now. We're so bad at being disagreed with. Well, and I and I think I think oftentimes it's inadvertent, but the people I think in leadership positions almost unintentionally sometimes stoke this competition or stoke this insecurity where you get, you know, uh, just for example, maybe the people in a choir trying to compete with each other instead of working together as, as a group of musicians, you know, where the, the whole is going to be better. But if we have one section trying to outsing the others, it's just not going to work. It, it's just, or it might work a, a little bit, not going to work a lot all the time. Um, and I don't know, again, if, is it the, is it human nature that we want to compete with each other, even when we're on the same team? Or is it that that's being subtly stoked 
intentionally mm -hmm. or is it that uh, it's mm -hmm. through a, a lack of awareness or, or some missing skills that it ends up creating that dynamic? Like most things, I think it's a combination, combination. of all of those things. And I think mm -hmm. it depends on the individual. Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the ensemble. I think it depends on the institution. I think mm -hmm. it, there, there are a lot of different things because some institutions are known for fostering very collaborative artists. Mm -hmm. And some institutions are known for not fostering collaborative artists, you know, and, and um, different upbringings, different experiences, different traumas, different um, weaknesses, different strengths, all of that stuff brings about different levels of, of um, how interpersonal, interpersonal conduct kind of thing. Yeah, and, and conflict. And um, some people are drawn to those types of situations more than others, too. I, I, I've, I've observed that myself, again, in often in the music world, you'll get some collections of uh, musicians, mm -hmm. some who are just more driven. They, they are there to, they will work together, but they are driven there to win. Like that is their their mission. And that's that's wonderful. I, I, I the, They work so hard to do that. And But the, the trick is if you can get the right combination of people, like you said, who can still work together in that mission to achieve what they're trying to achieve. Because if, if you don't have the right combination of people, no matter how good they all are, no matter how hard they work, if, if you don't have that uh, je ne sais quoi right, mm -hmm. right there, you're, it's, it's still not going to work. It's a, it's a really tough task to do that. And other groups just, you know, they're there to just have some fun and, and play, maybe compete a little bit, maybe not. But sometimes they, you, they get the most uh, creative points because they're trying something new or they're uh, playing playing a tune differently than it's ever been played before, and it, and it's a different focus. It, again, maybe you can different groups or bands can pull those those different um, focuses together. If you can, there's some magic that can really happen there. But I think do think they draw different types of people to them. And I think a lot of that actually just comes from a lack of setting the parameters from the start. Mm. A lot mm. of the time that conflict in those various ensembles comes from the simple fact that they didn't establish at the first rehearsal what they were there to do mm -hmm. right wouldn't it be nice if people understood that maybe they were in the wrong room yeah. if they were looking for this kind of orchestra but the conductor said actually this is this kind of orchestra or whatever i'm, I'm sort of speaking off the top of my head here of but course, i think that most of the conflict that i've ever seen in the artistic process is just a lack of boundaries or not boundaries but a lack of explaining what everyone's here to do and the stakes mm -hmm. that are at play for this particular group or for this particular project uh, and that even happened in in a choir that i sang in just a few years ago there was we had this sort of family meeting as it were as a choir mm -hmm. and, and discuss things and it was very clear to me that there were some people in the choir that thought they were just there to have fun and not worry about concerts and then but the majority of the people there wanted to put on high quality concerts and cared about singing in tune and cared about good rehearsal techniques and so doesn't necessarily mean that that minority that statistical minority was wrong they might have just been in the wrong place yeah and i and i sort of wanted to say then go join a community choir go join a youth choir but yeah. here this is an advanced auditioned chamber choir where we were told that we are going to put on high quality concerts and we're not doing that and unfortunately mm -hmm. for most people in the choir that's not being a satisfying experience for them right so um and both of those sides are right mm -hmm. they're not always right in the 
in the same, same time, same context, right? And yeah. so I think a lot of that is about establishing that it's okay. Quality is okay. I also don't want to sound like I'm against quality because I love a good quality show. As much as I think we all need to chill, chill out and just enjoy the ride of life, mm -hmm. I also think it's okay to want to put on a really good Absolutely. I, if Absolutely. you want to put on a production of Hamlet, I hope it's a really good one, you know, because well, we've done Hamlet enough. Let's be real. <laughs> well, and, and for me to, to clarify what I was saying before, because like there's a lot of competition that, that, where the point is competition. And like, you know, with bands, so that if people want to compete, I mean, most, yeah. most competitive things don't, people don't go in to lose, they do go in to win. I, so I, I get it, but wanting to put on the absolute best thing, because that's what you're there to do, really. Yeah, that's exactly what I heard from you. I totally it's, got that from you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's um, and I, I wasn't mean to speak poorly about any of the, the musical colleagues I've played with before. I was getting at these, um, you can get it, if, if, if everybody's not on that page, yep. The same way it's it's still not gonna go as well as it, it could otherwise and i think so why why i should ask you why do you think do people then wait to be asked or, or have it pointed out to them that maybe this isn't the right room for you to be in or is or are people afraid to uh self-select out of that situation are they are they aware that maybe you're in the wrong wrong room or the wrong group you know i, I wonder about that why um I've certainly been in place where I've gone like, wow, like this, this is just not going to be for me. I've got, to, I've got to bow to this kind of thing. Um, other times I've observed, and maybe this is my opinion, people should have done that, but they don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're, if it's just easier, they can blame somebody else if they're asked to take a different, different approach or a different direction. Oh, there are, uh, there are many thoughts to be had about that question. It's a really, um, Interesting question because it encompasses a lot of different aspects of psychology and a mm -hmm. lot of aspects of social psychology and how we all get along and one's personal responsibility versus one's contribution to a community. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm getting a little deep, but it's a deep question. It so I think I like, these are the kinds I like. I, I like hearing people's answers. That's why I love your or podcast thoughts, or thoughts on them. Yeah, that's why I love your podcast and the because name of it. There's not the name ever. I, I still appreciate that. Thanks, but it's 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 hard because there aren't always right answers. I I don't think there's not, and there's there's not not even right. There's not easy answers to it. And I have I have some opinions on this, which kind of boil down to it's not always about you. You. Mm -hmm. I I just think to myself, you know, and it's like these conversations we have about public health right if it affects other people if i'm going to get other people sick i want to do everything that i can to avoid that and it's okay for me personally if i may express my opinion here <laughs> it's okay for me to take care of other people <laughs> that's yeah. that's something i'm willing to do and i'm willing to put myself aside for that every now and then mm -hmm. and if i'm in uh, an ensemble that clearly is all about high quality and I thought I was just jamming. You know, I thought I was in a, a garage band or a jam band. Mm -hmm. I really believe that I have two options. I can try and yell at the system and blame everybody else, or I can realize that not every context is meant for every person and that yeah. it's not all about, about me. Yeah, yeah. If you and wanted... so I do tend to fall on the personal responsibility side, but the personal responsibility side also 
has a lot to do with the public good. Those are not mm -hmm. mutually exclusive. We, we seem to talk about those as if they're opposites on the same spectrum. I completely disagree. I actually think that if you were truly about personal responsibility, you would be a better team player. You would mm -hmm. actually be a better community member because you would recognize that if it's not always about you, that sometimes if you got into the situation, it's okay to say, oh, misunderstood. It's yeah. okay to be wrong. And actually, you're, you're not wrong. You know what I mean by wrong. I just, mm -hmm. you, 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 oh, oops, oh, wrong, wrong room. Doesn't mean that you're wrong as a person. person that's right. It just means that maybe this was a situation that you thought was a different one. Mm -hmm. And now after a week, a month, whatever it is, oh, I don't think this is the experience for me. Should I ruin the experience for 40 to 100 other people in that ensemble, orchestra, choir, play, musical, opera, whatever it is, because I'm Mark Wilkinson and it's all about me. No, it's like, because it's not about me. So I actually wish we would stop talking about community and personal responsibility as if they're separate things, separate, separate mutually exclusive things on either end of this. They're not, mm -hmm. they're, they're part of the same circle. So I, I have a, a very sort of balanced approach to community membership and personal responsibility that actually allows them to work together. Mm -hmm. You, um, what you just said there also reminded me of sort of another thought Danielle and I've been playing around with for a long time. And that's that presently we, I think we find ourselves in a world where we've so totally embraced the scientific method of, which I'm a big fan of. I'm, 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 I'm a scientist through and through. I'm also an arts and humanities person through and yeah. through. Yeah. And um, we've, we've embraced everything science, everything STEM, everything, you know, to the nth degree, which is all about looking at things so specifically that we see all the parts instead of the whole and how they best fit together. And I, I first became incredibly aware of that at university. Um, mm -hmm. where I went, it was a lot of that. And you saw it through, uh, interdepartmental competition where one department was bigger and louder and smarter and worked harder and faster than them, all the other ones did you know I'm sure you've seen this <laughs> yourself too oh yeah and uh, and uh, and others kind of just went about their business went oh I see what's happening here you know <laughs> kind of kind of interesting but it's certainly then you see that out in in the workplace when I was working at different uh, jobs, different employers, you see this notion where everybody thought that what they were doing was the best, was the hardest, was mm -hmm. the most important. Mm -hmm. um, and there wasn't that, I found, that respect or appreciation for, again, what else was happening around them. It's important to understand those things in a lot of depth. I absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean you one needs to be blinded to all the other stuff mm -hmm. that is happening that might be relevant. And it seems to be a real trend right now that we've stopped looking at things in terms of how they fit together we've, we'd like to look at them so specifically under the auspices of understanding it perfectly yeah and there's very few instances where i think we can actually do that so so tell me and the listeners more about because i totally agree with you so tell me and the listeners more about that relationship to the scientific method if they don't know what that means what what does the, what how does that relate to the scientific method if people don't know I think what I'm getting at is that the scientific method about breaking things down into, yeah. into small component parts to understand yeah. very specifically what is um, having a cause and effect. Yeah. Uh, what, what is creating a cause and an effect? And being able to, to say as factually as possible that that is what is going on here. Mm -hmm. To do that, you generally have to break things into smaller and smaller components or experiments or yeah. 
studies to ascertain that. And a lot of uh, the scientific method is about, you can't ever say you, you know something for certain, we can only say, we found something else that doesn't work. So that narrows us down even further to what we should try next time. In the humanities side of things, the arts and humanities, it, it, I find it tends to work the other way. Mm. So you, you, of course, understand these different components, but you want to understand how they are interconnected, how they, how they relate to one another, how they, the, the notion of context is extraordinarily important for understanding these things. Or if we're talking about discoveries, well, when were those discoveries made? What were the conditions that were, that was happening at that time? What was going on? And again, we're not even just talking about in the little laboratory where it was discovered, we're talking politically, we're talking economically, we're talking uh, public health. It was in the middle of a pandemic a thousand years ago and someone figured this out, you know. We talked in a previous episode about um, uh, Banting and Best uh, discovering discovering insulin. And as I, as I went back to sort of refresh my mind on, on some of that, like I was surprised to, I was surprised that I didn't know it, but upon reading it, when of, of course, you know, with the, the competing academic interests at the time, the political interests at the time, uh, there's still a lot of debate in the medical literature I discovered about who exactly made the discoveries first, because there was other medical teams in Europe working on the exact same problem at the same time. And they all kind of were making these, these, these really critical advancements almost lockstep on different aspects of the problem. Mm -hmm. But it came down to, you know, Banting and Best got the credit for it. And then there was a problem because of who got the uh, the Nobel Prize for it. And they, and they split the prize. And then it created animosity and interpersonal differences. And in the background, there were some very influential uh, people in the United States whose family members had diabetes. So there was mm -hmm. this, this massive pressure you know, if it, in, in, from public-facing people to get this problem solved, right? So when you take all of this and you throw it into a medical petri dish, if you will, and you, and you look at it, it's like, wow, there's a lot of things that happened in this, in this one particular example from history. We like to think of it as this, wow, this, it was just all done perfectly. It, it, it followed the, a perfect medical model. It, it followed a perfect research model. It, uh, it was all rolled. Everyone was just shaking hands. It was just all so such a happy situation. The outcome was unquestionably very positive. But there was a lot of stuff that was happening at the time that I was unaware of. And there's still, like I said, I've been amazed at the debate even today in the medical literature, uh, the history of medicine, of what exactly was happening, how was it being framed uh, at the time, who was benefiting, who stood to benefit, um, what, were, what were the true objectives. Um, you know, like, like any professions, there are egos that become involved, there are personal agendas that become involved, there are partnerships involved, and there are fraction of those relationships. And so it goes. Thank you for answering my leading question. Okay. Um, that was that was <laughs> that was the teacher in me. Like our students need to know more. Tell us more. Oh, right. <laughs> You're glad I could help. I, I, I love I love some of those anecdotes. I, I, I took some history of medicine uh, for yeah. a while too, and I, I love learning about that stuff. It's cool. it's a fascinating field. I'm sure you've you've probably explored some of that in your research too. It's um, what a great space to learn about how things actually came to be, but it involves connecting so many different facets of, of life. And I like it because it also does, it, it relies heavily on the scientific method. It, mm -hmm. it revolves very heavily on all things STEM. I'm not trying to sound like I'm against that in any way. Oh. I took a lot of, lot of science, most of my life actually. Yeah. 
but I love how it draws together these other arts and humanities aspects so that we can understand it. Context is complex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And human beings like simple. Especially mm -hmm. the current and recent human brain that is used to very quick anecdotes, mm -hmm. very immediate attention, very immediate answers, very immediate satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And context makes us uncomfortable because context asks us to see various sides of the same argument. Context asks us to be wrong sometimes. Ask, it asks us to reconsider what we used to think versus what we think now. Context is complex, and humans don't like complex. They like choice. They like two simple choices. You get chocolate or you get vanilla. You get, you know what I mean? You up get, or down. <laughs> you get up or yeah. down. You yeah. get night or day. We like simple. And unfortunately, with this hypersubscribed world we're living in through social media, we like 280 characters and I don't want to have to know anything else. Who am I supposed to hate and who am I supposed to like in this situation? Who did this and who did that? Who did right? Who did wrong? That's all we seem to have the capacity for. Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about is looking at the world holistically. What you're talking about is combining the scientific and humanities methods to see all of that, that the parts are important, but so is the larger context. Mm -hmm. And so that it's so much more than just, as I said earlier, just the voice, <laughs> not just singing and speaking. There's a whole mm. human process going on there with so many different aspects of psychology, anatomy and physiology, physics, acoustics, mathematics, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right? There's so many things. And unfortunately, context drives the modern brain crazy because a they might have to be wrong b they might have to challenge their own belief system and c they may agree with someone that they don't want to agree with mm -hmm. because we mm -hmm. love camps right again speaking of choice i'm in this camp or i'm in this camp and so um we are losing our ability to see nuance and context because we aren't teaching people about nuance and context anymore. We aren't mm -hmm. teaching people to think holistically. They just want to know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. They just want to know how do I, where do I fall? How can I fall into the right camp and not get in trouble? <laughs> how can I be on the right side of history? Um, which is hilarious to me because if the past is always being judged by the current lens, that means what you believe in now will probably be an atrocity 50 years from now. So if you're against the past, you also need to be against the present because that's going to be someone's past in the future. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we, we don't like context because context makes us think. Context makes us deal with dichotomies, with hypocrisies, with holding two, God forbid, two ideas at the same time, right? Wouldn't want to do that. So uh, yeah, what, what you're talking about with the scientific method um, is such a beautiful point that I take very well. Thank you for sharing that because it's, um, it's really, really true. We, we, we just want to know where do I fall? What, what's, what's the answer, this or that? Well, to pick up on that sort of binary um, or dichotomous aspect mm -hmm. you mentioned, and I saw again. I I studied psychology. I also studied a lot of um, 
human information processing, which uses a lot of computer science to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was it was never lost on me, not or with the professor that I worked with, that the, the, there's a certain irony involved with because computers are you know based on ones and zeros. Yeah, it, it comes down to it was just going to say that. Yeah, it, that's how they all work. And one of our biggest quests with computers and making them work better and faster is to understand how humans work. Mm -hmm. And I find that it, it's such an interesting um, way of going about it because you know we're building these. I mean. The advancements are incredible that we've made with all things computer technology. Absolutely fascinating. One of the quests of all of that is that we can understand how people work. <laughs> you can also understand how people work <laughs> by talking to them, <laughs> reading about them, understanding them. We don't have to necessarily reduce things to ones and zeros, literally. Yet we're trying to do that to, to understand the bigger picture, which it's, I find it's a it's. It's and it's in a lot of ways it's working because we can process so much more data now about people, and the the research that's happening on more nuanced aspects of human behavior coming out of computer programming is fascinating. I still I find it's a it's a magical irony that's happening in the middle right there, which I, I just think is it's fun. It's always I always have a, have a chuckle when I when I think about having a, a pint of beer with my professor talking about these things. It was great. So it reminds me of of the metaphor. Of if you take um, an animal and you uh, forgive me, but if you chop it up into a bunch of pieces, mm -hmm. a vet, a really good veterinary surgeon can technically sew that animal back up into the animal that it was, mm -hmm. but that animal is not alive anymore. It's, that's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein right there. With a car, you can take all of the parts of a car out of it and then put it back together and it will start again and so often we treat human beings like cars rather than like the animals that we are you cannot put a human being back together and expect them to be alive mm -hmm. right if you if you disembody a human being like that you can with a car and with a computer same thing you can take every single part of a computer out of it put it back together mm -hmm. and it will turn on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it is it is interesting that we we have you know, become so obsessed with these screens and these technological advances, and we seem to almost um, what's the what, what's the term um, anthropomorphize? We seem to sort of anthropomorphize humans as technology in order to reverse it. Yeah, yeah. Is that the right word? Anthropomorphize? Am I, I using that I think, right? I think, yes, I think so. I think okay. so. We're yeah, we're taking one and applying it to the other. Um, yeah. But we're doing it backwards. It's, it's a, <laughs> or even the way that we know, oh, well, a bird does this. I'm like, yeah, but we don't have feathers. You know? <laughs> we we love to anthropomorphize ourselves into these things that have nothing to do with the human experience, right? Mm -hmm. We don't we don't have a brain like a bird. We don't have wings like a bird. We don't have feathers like a bird. But if they show one thing that's convenient to our argument, we'll say, oh, but birds do this. And I go, well, the, yeah. but <laughs> wait. Might be a bit of a stretch there, yeah. Well, but there's a logical fallacy going on there. Well, and there's a huge, again, I'm sure you're you're aware of it, there's a huge sort of debate in the psychology field about, particularly with the like like pharmacology aspects mm. because of, of a lot of research um, for all, actually for all branches of medicine, I shouldn't even say um, just psychology. Yeah. Uh, but like we, we have to test medicines on, on animals. Uh, rats are a common one, uh, but, but you know, they're even used in the, um, the, um, Makeup industry and yep. things like that for all kinds of all kinds of testing that happens on animals, yep. with with the as, as a precursor to trying to understand what might happen if we did this on people. And uh, some people say it's necessary because how else you know, it would be unethical to 
inject a human being with this trial drug or something mm -hmm. like that. It's mm -hmm. more ethical in our mental framework to study them on rats. You know, mm -hmm. We view them as less, mm -hmm. less. They're certainly less human. <laughs> they're not yeah. human. They're they're they're, they're rats. Yeah. You know, but we view their it, we view it as as sufficiently ethically sound to be yeah. able to carry a test on a on an on an animal before we try it on a person. Um, some people say though that, but you can't you, you can't really make the the leap because it's not it's not a human. We don't know how that's gonna how a you know just because a rat does reacts a certain way does not mean a person is gonna react that way, you know. And so there's a lot of debate in on that in that sort of field about um, the practicality of the extension of the results or how how much we can rely on those things. Um, and of course, then there's everything the whole ethical package of that whole aspect too is is a really really um really tricky that's a whole other world for a whole other whole other discussion but um yeah it's it's a funny it's a funny debate zone yeah and i always i always think to myself and i don't mean this about the rats but i just mean mm -hmm. in general what at what cost at what cost for the general sense of what it is to be human do we break ourselves down into these tiny little parts that will never mm -hmm. fully express the whole the whole being of what it is to be human mm -hmm. and and um i just think about all the things in the world where the basic necessities of life aren't even present mm -hmm. and i think about you know the fact that the world could end in you know several years i mean there's so many things going on and and you know here i am you know complaining about the voice you know what i mean it all seems so it all seems so <laughs> unimportant when you come back to the real context of the fact that there are millions and billions of people around the world who don't even have access to drinking water you know what i mean and it's it's and i, and I know you can ruin any argument by being all <laughs> noble like this excuse me but no well the hard part of context too is that you know another another hard part of context is that often like we are not in the, the position to change it mm -mm. which also you know i think i think unfortunately i think that's why people uh, like to avoid it uh, mm -hmm. because they, they they feel like they maybe have more clout or more influence by focusing on this one little part instead of even being aware of the bigger context because it is hard to change context. It's not a one person job for the most oh, part. Absolutely, it's like access to food, right? It's like it starts. You know, we think it starts with nutrition, but then it starts with access to food. But then that goes to the agrochemical products that we use on those foods, and, and then the water that that's available, to, and the geography that's that's there, yes, and, and who lives climate. where, and how they have access to it because of that geography. I mean, nothing is ever as simple. When I see these people, oh, you need more, you know, you need more of this nutrient. I go, okay, well, do they have access to that nutrient? Why are they deficient of that nutrient in the fr I mean, mm -hmm. nothing is ever, as you just said, nothing is ever that simple. So um it's context is complex. I think mm -hmm. that might be the theme song of, of our chat this morning. Um, <laughs> that's, a good, that's good actually for the good a good title for the episode. Yeah. It's context is complex and humans like simple. Simple. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I think that um, we need to embrace the micro and we need to embrace the macro. I would just put out into the universe that we are really embracing the micro right now. I think yes. we should all stand, as my sister says, to zoom out. out. Yes. Mm -hmm. Zoom out a little bit and see, <laughs> see the whole world, see the What's whole picture and understand mm -hmm. that human beings are not just their gender they are not just 
their sexual orientation. They are not just their heritage. They are the combination of all of the things and all of the traumas and all the experiences and all the education. Everything about us is is infinitely and beautifully, if you're willing to see it as beautiful, uh, infinitely mm -hmm. and beautifully complex. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for that parting thought. You're welcome. That's just, that, that's just fantastic. I think it's great. I think uh, we covered a lot of interesting ground here again today. Uh, I appreciate your time with this once again. I think always uh, my I, pleasure. I've, I've jotted down a couple more things here for our, our upcoming conversations again. Um, I'm happy doing this as long as you're happy doing this. These are a lot of fun. So thank as you. As long as the listeners are happy hearing me for another episode, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds great. <laughs> you've got you've got big plans coming up for the weekend now. Oh, that's right. Um, by the time our listeners uh, will hear this, I will have traveled to Niagara Falls to see my favorite stand-up comedian of all time, Kathleen Madigan. Um, and so by the time you hear this, dear listeners, I will probably be on cloud nine because I will have seen one of my favorite people ever live um, at, uh, the, I think it's at the casino in, in Niagara Falls. And uh, I just, I couldn't be more excited and then a week today is my birthday so i've got lots of fun <laughs> things coming up you're just everything's just uh, just coming up uh, your turn this week everything's awesome. coming up millhouse <laughs> i hope someone gets that reference but i know that's one of my favorite lines ever <laughs> i'm gonna i'll have to look that one up it doesn't ring a bell right away for me so i'm gonna go look it up just a classic simpsons episode everything's oh, okay. coming up millhouse okay all right fair that's enough. a deep dive adam excuse me <laughs> <laughs> that's all good it's all good well i hope you have a wonderful weekend there thank you Thank you so much for your time again today. Uh, I think this has been uh, some interesting thoughts we've covered again, and uh, I hope listeners enjoy it. If you want to look uh, look up Mark online, we will have his um, his contact information in the description of the show. And otherwise, from everybody here at Thoughts and Found, thank you, Mark. Thank you to our listeners. We hope you have a wonderful day wherever you are, and we're grateful to have you with us, and uh, we hope to have you back again soon. Thanks, Adam. Bye for now.